Welcome to the DaVinci Hour podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Maxwell Cooper, and in this podcast series, I interview physicians, medical innovators, and entrepreneurs making an impact on healthcare. This podcast is produced by DaVinci Academy, a multimedia medical education company that provides podcasts, video courses, and digital textbooks. You can see more on our website, www.dbiacademy.com and our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash C slash DaVinci Academy Med. This podcast is sponsored by Doc2Doc, the personal lending platform designed for doctors by doctors. Do you have some big expenses in the near future? Maybe you're moving, applying to residency or fellowship, fixing up your car or home, or starting a new practice. Doc2Doc believes that traditional lenders overestimate the risk of lending money to doctors, residents, and medical students, focusing too much on the challenges of their financial past and giving them insufficient credit for the promise of their financial future. Check out Dr. Doc's personal loan options at drdoclending.com slash DaVinci. Hey everybody, welcome back to the DaVinci Hour podcast. I'm honored this week to be joined by a fellow physician podcaster, Dr. Eric Gantworker. He is a, one of the hosts over at the Backtable Innovation Show, and then he's also a pediatric ENT on Long Island in academic practice there at Cohen Children's Hospital. And then he's also involved in a medical education company called Level X. He's one of the VPs and uh, medical director there. So Eric, thanks for joining us. Really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me on. Big fan. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. So I gave you a little bit of an intro, but maybe talk about like, you know, where you went to school, where you did residency and just like a general overview of your clinical practice. Yeah. Yeah. So I was, I was a little atypical um, everywhere throughout my career, but you know, I didn't even know if I wanted to do medicine uh, so I was actually a chemical engineer before I actually even went to medical school and then sort of got interested in food science and chemical engineering because my uncle worked for Quaker Oats. And then, and, you know, I got became an EMT and then a medic firefighter. After college, I basically went and got a master's degree as a postback program at Georgetown University with a master's in physiology and biophysics. And basically then, you know, sort of got into medical school. I'm from Chicago. So I went to Rush Medical College, which is actually where my where my brother went. Um, so me trying to do the opposite of what he did ended up doing, you know, following in similar footsteps, he became a neurosurgeon. So I was kind of the dumb one in the family. So I was like, oh, well, I'll do, I'll do ENT. So I uh, did my ENT residency at Cincinnati and Cincinnati Children's and was really interested in pediatrics. And so went on to do my fellowship at Boston Children's and then got a master's degree in medical education because it was starting up right then. And really, it was the first year of the program, so really could make it what I wanted to. So focused mostly on the cognitive science of learning and adult learning theory, but then also on educational technology and where the overlap was, and then really got involved in game-based learning and took some courses up there. And really, that sort of jettisoned me into my career as it is today. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, that's that's quite a... Uh, you've been around, that's for sure. <laughs> um, I'm curious, you know, uh, you're, you do pediatric ENT uh, right now, and when you split splitting time between that and, your, and the company you work at, I guess when when you are practicing, what what's like your are you you know mostly operative? Do you kind of split it between clinic and like any particular areas you focus on? Yeah, you know, coming out of Cincinnati, we're really well trained in airway, so that was sort of my first foray into it, and I really like doing airway and sleep surgery and you know more of the complex aerodigestive kids. So that's sort of where I gravitated my practice. I was at Boston Children's for a year while I was doing my master's program, and then went to Dallas. I was at Dallas Children's for two, two and a half years, and then I was in Chicago at Loyola for about two and a half years, and then moved to Northwell about two years ago. 
most of the academic practice in pediatric ENT, the bigger they get, the more you subspecialize. Our group's a little bit different where pretty much everybody does everything. So we sort of split everything, but airway and sleep is sort of still my area of interest and in sort of that aerodigestive kids with tracheostomies and those types of things. And, and uh, you asked about the split. Most of the time, you know, my three days is either split two days clinic, one day OR, or sometimes two days OR, one day clinic. It really depends. And then I do some weekends and stuff, but it, I have a really pretty good mix of, of both. Yeah, that's awesome. That's a that's a great way to, to split your week, both OR clinic and then obviously doing, you know, um, entrepreneurship, which is awesome. Yeah. So I'm curious, how, how did you get interested in like medical education? You, know, you did a master's in it. You obviously, you're working at a company that's on the cutting edge of it right now. Was that something you had wanted to do or was it kind of opportunities presented themselves and you kind of took advantage of those and got more interested? Yeah, a little bit of both. So my dad was a Chicago public school teacher and he told me, whatever I do, don't become a teacher. So I did the opposite and became a teacher. So, you know, I, I really always had it in me. I was always interested in education and throughout my career, I had, you know, different elements of my life doing tutoring or teaching residents or teaching medical students. And so I've always had that as part of me. When the opportunity came to actually do a master's in med ed, people were asking me like, why do you want to do this? Why don't you do, you know, a public health or an MBA? And I was like, no, you know, really education is my thing. I really, really enjoy education. And, and that's what sort of got me into that space initially was like, I do want to develop the skill set, but I also want to have some credentials, which would be nice. But then getting the practical skills of doing a thesis on some kind of educational topic. And then I just sort of gravitated because I think everybody gravitates towards something that they're good at. And then all of a sudden they become passionate about the things that they're good at. So I sort of felt like I had a little bit of a track record of doing pretty well with it. And then you enjoy it more as you get positive feedback, I guess. And so that was sort of what got me into that space. And this master's was just sort of a natural progression of that. That's awesome. Um, and then I'm curious, you know, how did that lead to getting involved in level X? Was this, were you, had you been involved in, you know, using education technology and you new tools in education, or I guess, how did you get involved in that? That's a great question. You know, I've, I've always been interested in games and games have always fascinated me since, you know, my brother and I were kids and, and played video games. And one fun, funny anecdote was that when we grew up playing games, you know, he was older than me. So whenever I messed up in the game, he slapped my hand. And then I actually got the opportunity to rotate with him and he was my chief resident and I was a fourth year medical student and we were operating together and I did something stupid and he slapped my hand. So it was sort of like playing games again. But, you know, that <laughs> the, the whole idea of games and learning was very fascinating to me. And again, it was sort of like what you said, like the opportunity comes, you take the opportunity and you like it. And that's sort of what happened. So the game-based learning stuff that I learned in product development, user-centered design was sort of uh, an amalgamation of what my master's was. And then the opportunities to consult within the technology and education space in medicine came, you know, I had multiple opportunities and a lot of them I still do with some consulting that I do. But one of them was um, this company Level X, which at the time was started by uh, my friend um, who is the CEO. We've known each other since we went to high school together, we went to college together. So we've known each other for a long time. And then he sort of went off and did his own thing, you know, working for LucasArts, Microsoft, and sort of making video games. And he actually ran, uh, he was CEO of a mobile video game company that was making Hollywood movies. Uh, Hollywood movie games, you know, so all the games that are based on that. And it just so happened that I graduated when he started the company. And so he said, you know, would you like to advise for us? Because one of the first things they were doing was airway in the anesthesia space, which there's a lot of overlap with ENT. And then as they expanded into new specialties, my 
my role grew. And then when they became, you know, a larger company, they needed a medical director. And so that's when I sort of made the move to Chicago, you know, also being home for my parents, it was a good time. And then that role just expanded from there. Wow. That's interesting. I mean, that's uh, kind of a perfect, uh, you know, synergy of things happening all at once. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I was going to say like, how did you get, when you were doing these consulting jobs, like how did you, obviously you, this guy was a friend of yours from, from a long time ago, but I guess maybe some of the other opportunities you had, was that something you just were good at kind of networking in the space or did people reach out to you? I guess, I guess, how did you come across those, those type of opportunities? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And I think part of it is, is definitely networking and getting your presence out there. And when there are people doing stuff in a cool, interesting space, they share their network with you. And so, you know, even stuff that I post on social media, I get attention. I consult for about two or three companies that literally reached out to me on LinkedIn, just from my presence and from my background. You know, some of it is a, a warm introduction. So some people will be like, hey, you know, you'd really jive with, you know, you'd really get along with this person. You know, maybe you should reach out and connect. And that was sort of, it's been sort of organic at this point. Um, I don't really seek out that many opportunities. You know, there are some that seem interesting to me and I reach out, but it's more the network and being open to meeting people. And one of the things I found in this space that we may get to is that this medical education and medical technology space right now is so collaborative that you can link in, message somebody, and they'll get back to you no matter what level. Like I message CEOs all the time of big companies and they get back to me. People are just, they're wanting to connect in this space and they're wanting to push the field forward. And I think it's a very fruitful and collaborative environment as opposed to a lot of some of these other spaces where people are really closed in and, and protective of their secrets. This is, this is slightly different than that. Yeah, no, that's pretty cool. I think, you know, I've, as I was telling you, I've done some video court, you know, video courses in medical education and kind of in that world, I've definitely been able to collaborate with uh, some other companies. And yeah, I agree with you. It's not as competitive as you may think with, you know, maybe you see in some other spaces. It's, I think that's pretty cool. Everyone coming together for a, a good cause, which is medical education. <laughs> um, Absolutely. And just a asking for advice. Sure, you know, sure. Even even reaching out to people who, again, in higher places than I, just asking for advice. And people are so open to that opportunity and that mentorship relationship. It's been fantastic for me. And and again, those networking and the connections coming from just having conversations has gone a long way. And obviously, as, you, as you've noticed in the podcasting environment as well, just meeting with people on your show, you get to connect with those individuals and then expand your network further, which has been a fantastic opportunity. Absolutely. Yeah, that's I definitely didn't even really think of that as, as something when I started podcasting. It's just it's amazing the the network and you know, group of, you know, I have people I stay in touch with that on the show, like, you know, fairly regularly, you know, through LinkedIn messages or Instagram or things like that. So it's, it's a pretty cool uh, kind of side product of it. That's pretty cool. Maybe give us an overview of, you know, we've been talking about level X, maybe give us an overview, of like, you know, what it is you guys do, like maybe like a 30,000 foot overview, and then we can kind of get into the the nitty gritty details, but maybe like an overview of, you know, what you guys are working on. Yeah. So, you know, we think of ourselves as the medical video game studio and eventually, and essentially our mission is to advance the practice of medicine through play. And that really sort of underlines what we're trying to do. What we're trying to use is use the technology and the psychology of video games that are so strong and so cutting edge to reimagine how healthcare professionals engage with medically relevant content. So that is mostly in sort of the continuing professional development CME space, but also understanding how different technologies 
new things that are coming on the market, how those apply to your patient population. And it's not even just restricted to doctors. You know, we're now doing stuff in the patient education space. We're doing stuff in the nursing space. So we're really expanding that, that target audience. But our core audience has always been continuing professional development CME. But the number one thing that we wanted to do was we wanted to increase access and lower costs to the end users. And so our stuff is completely free to download and play. Anybody can play it today. And that was really the genius of our CEO, Sam, and what the way he imagined was that the content should be free. It should be accessible on your device at all times, just-in-time learning, micro-learning, all the things that we're talking about now. He thought of that, you know, seven, eight years ago. That's pretty cool. And I think I remember when, I think it might've been the episode where you interviewed him or maybe one of the other episodes you did when you're talking about it, that, that that was something he took from his experience in the video game industry that there's, you can still make it free to the end user, but still monetize it and make it a good business model. Is that, I'm curious yeah. like how that, how that's carried over for you guys in terms of the business model. A hundred percent. And and it's a very <clears throat> different business model from what most people have done. In fact, when I meet with people from a business development standpoint, that's the number one question. They're like, wait a minute, it's free. Like, how do you, how do you monetize? How do you scale? And then we, you know, we talk about it and they're like, oh my God, that's, that's genius. And we're like, yeah, I mean, a lot of free platforms do that. Right. I mean, so Instagram does that. Facebook does that. Right. But they do it through banner ads and serving you content that is, you know, something that you'll look at for five seconds. Level X does it in a way that we take that content and we create an experience that you're going to engage with, you know, for 10 minutes instead of looking at it for 30 seconds. So the value proposition to our potential clients and partners is much higher than what it would be on a Facebook or an Instagram. Interesting. So is that, are those partners, are they like the medical device companies and uh, like, I guess other like medical equipment companies, like one, I guess, to help educate doctors on how to use them and beef, but also a marketing, you know, play in that they, you know, you're aware that these are out there. All of these things. I mean, we, we partner with um, clients from NGOs, nonprofits, you know, we work with uh, Trish, which is the Translational Research Institute for Space Health, which is out of Baylor, affiliated with NASA. And, you know, that was a grant program. So we do grant-based work as well. We work with societies, organizations, and, you know, anybody who's looking to innovate in this space and use our toolbox is the way that we think about it. And obviously from industry as well. And industry is coming out with new devices and new medications. And the problem is, is that patient outcomes aren't as great if people aren't using them correctly. And so we're really trying to change the way that people know about those things, know how to use them correctly so that we can hopefully improve patient outcomes, but then also make people aware of these tools and these new therapeutics. Very cool. Very cool. And so I guess, it, how do people play these games? Is it like, is it virtual reality? Is it like a game console? Like, do they, you know, I guess yeah. maybe walk us through how the, like the user experience, if you will. So, you know, the, the beginning of the company, Sam, remember, was at a mobile game company. So he wanted to be mobile first. So all of our games, when they first came out, were all mobile-based. So you're using the touchscreen on your phone because, again, you want to increase access and decrease cost. We realized that as we grew as a company that there's other channels that people want to utilize. Very early in the pandemic, we created a gaming platform that is cloud-based. and You can actually distribute our stuff any way you want. You can do it in VR, you can do it in AR, you can do it web-based, you can do it on an iPad, you can do it on your iPhone. We can uh, integrate with proprietary hardware. So one of the things that was the smartest thing that I would say our company did was we were omni-channel. We can, you can play our stuff anywhere, anytime, and we can integrate. We didn't go whole hog into virtual reality or any of these other spaces because there's limitations that VR has and specifically access and cost are those limitations. 
And if you think about it from a distribution model, beholding yourself to distributing hardware is a tough business. But if you could just create the software and integrate with whatever hardware it is, that's a much better business, but also it's much better for the end user because they can meet you where you're at. And so our solutions are deployed with on our mobile. It can be uh, integrated with an LMS. It could be on any PC, any web base that has a Wi-Fi. It could be a uh, VR. It could be any display or any proprietary hardware. And that's really such a great thing that our company did early on to realize that that was a better method of distribution. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And I like the idea of in increasing access. And then, yeah, I think, you know, some of these tools like VR and that are, they're very cool. And, you know, I've demoed them out as I'm sure you have, but they have their limitations, like you said. And then the cost is, that's a huge issue as well that you pointed out. Are you integrating these with uh, like residency programs or medical schools? I guess, is that, is, do you see this as something that's being either currently or potentially adopted into curriculums? And I guess, if so, how, how do you see that fitting into the curriculum? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, obviously from the business side, we moved first in toward that CPD focus, CME focus, just because of our existing partners and clients. As we grow as a company and we realize the potential of the power of the tools that we have, it's very obvious that medical students, residents, anybody who's a clinician or an allied health professional can take advantage of these tools. And so we've started to go into some of that curriculum development for residents. We, we have a new product coming down that is specifically targeted towards that. So we do feel like our tool set is very, very set for that type of experience while we're also trying to create uh, a business that will support the R&D for those projects. Because the money is a little bit tighter in that population, it's a much longer cycle to try to realize and, and issue those projects through. So there's a really important business consideration as you go to that model, because again, we're not subscription-based. So we're not sure. going to recoup costs from the users, which is what a lot of some of those companies do you're not going to do a subscription base from the university, which is a lot of what some of them do. Our business model is very different from that. And so we try to stay true to our, to our business, but then also create the R&D cycle such that we can deliver those solutions for more novice users. That's interesting. Yeah, that's that's really cool. I'm curious, you know, what, what kind of like, I guess, feedback or do you guys have, have you done any like studies or data to kind of demonstrate, you know, because I think it's cool that it's also a game, you know, kind of you know, it fuels that that competitive aspect that a lot of, you know, a lot of people have when, and, you know, you know, especially if they're a former athlete or, or a musician or something like that, it kind of fuels that that fire as well. Yeah. So, you know, as a company, obviously, we always want to show that it works, right? We We do know that games work. Games are a very powerful learning tool that have existed for millennia. And to harness that power into these game-based learning type experiences is extremely important. And you bring up competition, which is really important. That's one motivator of some people. Not everybody's motivated by, by competition, which is why sometimes some of these gamification type things don't work because they're predicated on, on competition. And not everybody's motivated through competition. We're sort of taking that next level down, which is that deep psychology of games and why people play games for hours on end, even if there's not competition as part of that element. But when we look at how people learn, that's the more important part. Can they learn with the game? Can they apply that into clinical practice? The answer is yes. So we have lots of studies that have shown our stuff works. We have um, several studies that were done on early prototypes of what we were creating with the Airway X um, and even on the precursor for Airway X. 
Uh, we actually just launched a white paper or actually we had a third party study that was ran and just released a white paper about our knowledge base mechanics and showing that amongst practicing clinicians who were busy, they actually improved their score in just 30 minutes. Um, they played for two hours and they can then actually apply that into clinical relevant scenarios so that we know that they're likely going to transfer that into practice, which is extremely important, something very different than what a lot of the research has shown. Again, as, a, as an educational researcher at heart, I always want things to be external to us. Um, and so we are predicated on outside PIs running a lot of our studies. We run some internal data studies, mostly for our QA, just to make sure that we are creating stuff that is hitting the mark and modifying our games as we need to. And so we generate a lot of data in that way. But really, these outside third-party studies are really important for us to be able to run. And there's some a bunch of studies that are in the pipeline as well. Uh, but yes, I mean, you, you're absolutely right. These games are fun, but do they show outcomes? And that's that's going to be where the, where the rubber meets the road. And you have to show those outcomes in order for people to be confident that games work because there still is some cynicism out there. Uh, and I think that is something that the whole industry needs to do is to push that forward and show that proof. Yeah. I think that's interesting that you point that out about the, you know, the, the, the data definitely shows that it works and that, but there is a little bit of skepticism. Cause I was going to ask you about that. Like, you know, you know, as well as I do that, you know, medicine, especially in medical education can be very, you know, slow to, to change or upset, accept new ways of doing things. So I'm curious, like what kind of skepticism or, or criticism or pushback you've gotten and how you guys have mitigated that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's all over the place, but I think it is, it is slowly changing. Part of it is, is that a lot of people think about who starts medical school now, right? So you start medical school when you're what, 22 years old. So these people were born in 2001, the people who are, grad who are starting medical school. So they have not known a world without technology. They've not known a world almost without mobile games. So gaming is now not what it used to be. When people who were 60 years old knew what games were, it was Pong. It was, you know, these games that really were not necessarily ubiquitous as they are now. The average age of a gamer is like 36 years old now. It's not like 10. You know, the 2.6 billion people play video games. 2.6 billion people. That's crazy. You know, this is this is not just people <laughs> in their basement playing games. And the they engage with these games for thousands of hours. There's there's something to that. And remember, nobody's forcing them to play the game. Like games are an opt-in experience. If you're not having fun, you're going to stop playing. There is something about games. There's a magic there that is happening. And medical education is starting to realize that and the younger people are coming through and have access to tools to create games because that's the other thing, user-generated content, right? Before, it was only game designers could do it. Now you have game engines like Unity, which are much more user-friendly, visual authoring tools, Game Maker Plus. You have all these tools that users can create their own games, and they are. And we're starting to see this populate into the universe of medical education in little pockets. And it's starting to create this movement. I mean, the whole serious games movement has been a big discussion point. You see gamification everywhere. We can argue the merits of serious games and, and gamification, whether they're actually entertaining or not, but that's a whole nother, a whole nother discussion. I think people are realizing, hey, there's something here. There's, there's potential here. The other area that I've actually gotten really interested in is escape rooms. You know, just the idea that you could use your knowledge to do puzzles and do escape rooms. And now you're seeing that pop up all over the literature. 
started in, you started mostly in nursing now, but now it's coming into medical education and it's just popping up everywhere because people realize that games are fun and they're interesting and they are a great model for how we want people to learn. We want them to be curious. We want them to be challenged. They want the challenge to meet their skill. They want to create a flow state where they're so concentrated that they lose hours on end doing this. And it's the maximally efficient way that people learn. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I mean, I think it's it's enjoying the experience, you know, feeling like you're getting something out of it. And then also, you know, the escape room, that's, you know, we actually did an escape room in my resident orientation. Oh, really? So that's that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So that's oh, funny. We definitely <laughs> got to talk about that. Yeah. So that's, that's <laughs> funny. You brought that up. Um, you know, yeah, it was cool. It was a good team building experience and, and uh, bonding experience. So that's, that's pretty cool. I, I want to ask you though, just to get a little bit in the specifics, maybe could you give us like an example of one of the games, like how, like how it works, how, like, how do you win or lose? And then like, what's the educational like objective that, that, yeah. you, that you hope the user gets out of it? The, the patient survives. That's how you win. Um, <laughs> so when we, when we first started again, realized that we're trying to marry the psychology of video games and the technology. And so when you're using the technology from video games, it has to be very visual. And so when we started creating games for level X, it was very procedural focused. So our first game was Airway X, which was for anesthesiologists to teach them flexible fiber optic intubation. And so you're literally using the touchscreen and you have six degrees of freedom with the touchscreen like you would on the scope, right? You can rotate it right, you can rotate it left, you can thumb up, thumb down, you can advance it in and advance it out. So you have six degrees of freedom. The same thing is just mapped onto your touchscreen. And so you're navigating through the uh, back of the nose, back of the throat, and you're trying to intubate the patient because that's the ultimate goal of flexible fiber optic intubation. And you're seeing all these massive lesions and you're trying to navigate around them. And then we have some more abstract things like you're going through a maze and going through a puzzle and you're collecting hearts. You know, some are more of those game type experiences where you're using those skills that you, sh that you need to transfer into clinical practice, but your goal of the, of the level is not to gain those skills. So I always talk about this in, in when games are working really well, the goal of the game is tangential to the skills that you're developing and the ultimate learning objectives that you're trying to achieve. Because people don't, don't want to know that like, oh, I learned something. Like that's not their end goal. So collecting hearts is a, is a tangential goal. But in order for you to collect those hearts, you need to navigate the bronchial tree just right and not cause any damage. And so that's how we score people based on time, based on skill, collateral damage, which is exactly how it maps to in real life. Like you don't want to mess up the airway. You don't want to cause inflammation. We had Palmex, um, which was again a uh, bron uh, interventional bronchoscopy type game where you're doing foreign bodies, you're taking biopsies. Gastrorex was actually our second title, which was colonoscopies. And again, trying to use your touchscreen to map to those degrees of freedom that you would have on the actual devices. And then we started moving into more knowledge-based mechanics. So we have a diagnosis mechanic where you're diagnosing disease, a treatment mechanic where you're going through the patient journey and, and treating them and seeing how their um, side effects are, how their quality of life is, those types of things. And we've even further expanded into puzzle type games. Our top derm game, which is for dermatology, is a very visually focused knowledge challenge type game uh, where you're doing matching, you're doing all kinds of different knowledge-based mechanics. Um, we have a, a game mechanic where you're trying to determine if a patient meets a certain criteria of a disease entity. Uh, we have some games that are focused on mechanism of action, mechanisms of disease that are more molecular-based interactions where you're finger painting on the screen and creating these molecular interactions and seeing them evolve over time. So we started with this sort of procedural based game and now we have, you know, 10 different mechanics now of how we can, uh, you know, assemble, assemble instruments and all these types of things. So they're all very different, which is why I always say level X is not a thing. It's a toolbox. 
And that's really what we're trying to build. We're trying to build a toolbox by going into different specialties, working with different partners and different clients. Very cool. Very cool. And then, you know, I know you, you mentioned this before, but how, I guess how, when you have like the partners or the, you know, people, you know, companies that want to partner with you and, you know, have their, you know, technology featured or their brand featured, how, how does that all work into the game as well? Yeah, it depends. So, you know, with any partner or client, we do a, a very in-depth intake about what their goals that they're trying to achieve and who is their audience, right? Because their audience isn't always the same. It may not be usually healthcare professionals, but they might have um, sales training. They might need to train their sales force. And so that that solution is very different from getting in front of healthcare professionals and showcasing the value proposition of their devices or just showing how they work and preventing uh, side effects. So early on, we had uh, we had a, a medication that we created content for, and the problem was was that people were not dosing it correctly, and they were getting lots of side effects. And so we created uh, basically a, an Angry Birds type game, where you're basically you're trying to set it and you're trying to manage it to make sure that you don't cause those side effects, and you start to understand okay, if I don't go above this level and I, it has a very narrow therapeutic window. So, you know, if you stay within that narrow therapy window, you're not going to cause damage. You're not going to cause problems. And so we created just a whole game based on that concept. Um, there's somewhere, you know, you're managing multiple patients at the same time and you're trying to keep them under a certain level of anesthesia and you have a tool that helps you determine their level of anesthesia. And so you're trying to manage all these patients with all their medications and some of them, the tool's not working. And so you see it's much harder to manage those patients without that tool. And so just with that tool, you start to realize, oh, I now I can monitor them a lot better than some of the other ways that I, I did. And so, yeah, so sometimes it's sort of featuring their product, understanding how their product works, understanding how to put their product together, right? So sometimes it's just, I don't know how to put this together because this is something brand new to me. Uh, sometimes it's an awareness, just understanding the disease entities that we're starting to think about. Um, you know, one we worked with the IPF Foundation because IPF, interstitial pulmonary fibrosis, is a often missed diagnosis. And so we worked with the IPF Foundation and got a grant to actually try to get healthcare professionals to recognize IPF earlier, order CT high-res CT scans earlier, and recognize the changes on high-res CTs that would map to somebody who would have IPF instead of something else. And so we're also starting to do these rare diseases where people are just sort of missing the diagnosis. These patients go months and years without a diagnosis and their outcomes are much poorer because doctors are not recognizing earlier on, this isn't what you think it is. It's something else. That's really fascinating. I mean, that's it, the whole user experience. It sounds like it, you know everything's integrated together, both for the user and then the uh, the company that you know you maybe you're partnering with to feature as well. That's, that's, that's really cool. And it's kind of everybody wins. I mean, the user gets better knowledge of what you know, what the company has to offer. And then the company obviously gets their, their product out there and seen, and then also people know how to use it better, which is, which is also uh, pretty cool as well. I'm curious, you know, what you guys have recently been acquired by brain lab. Is that right? And then yeah. I, I guess what, what kind of, you know, what was the reason, I guess, for that acquisition night? And then I guess, how is that, has that changed anything? Or are you guys still, uh, you know, operating kind of with the same mission or do you guys have new, new goals you're trying to attain now? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, it was it was great. I mean, it actually happened during COVID, which was fantastic. So we had been doing some work with Brain Lab before and, and they had sort of known us and uh, Sam and the CEO of Brain Lab um, really got to know each other really, really well throughout 
everything that we've been doing before. And, you know, again, what we really pride ourselves on is the quality of our technology and the quality of our interactions that you are having inside the game. It doesn't just look pretty. There's a whole infrastructure underneath that's actually running. So the example I give is in our Cardio X game, you're actually looking through X-ray wavelength light through a human model. And that is not painted. That is an actual representation of a real-time rendering of how those light passes through that that form, such that if we change the light intensity, the form will change. But it also allowed us to create these lesions within the cardiac network that when you look at them under the fluoroscopic light, they show as if they would in real life. And that is, again, just the technology that's running on the underside of what we do. And BrainLab at the end of the day is, is a very cutting edge technology company. And they saw the opportunities and, you know, some of the technology that we have and saw the potential to get into this, you know, this different space and using the tool set that we have. And so it just sort of naturally progressed into this conversation. And, you know, we were at very happy um, that everything went down the way it did. And, and Stefan Vilsmeyer, CEO of Brain Lab, has been a fantastic advocate and him and Sam are very, very close. And, what the thing it did for us was Sam, obviously, as a startup, was on the road a lot trying to get us funding. And just the constant startup life of trying to be like, where's our next dollar going to come from? What's our run rate? You know, it was a rat race. And when Sam was gone, you know, we lost our, our leader, you know, because he was doing very important things. One of the greatest things that happened after we got acquired was Sam didn't have to do that anymore. Sam could be with us at our side, working on the product, working on what we were doing and development of the company. And that was a huge win for us because he didn't have to worry about where our next dollar was going to come from. He could work on what we were trying to do. And I think that was the biggest change that we had. We are otherwise exactly the same. We, you know, we have uh, a totally independent subsidiary of Brain Lab. So we work with, you know, whoever, you know, whoever we want. There's no restrictions on that. And it's been fantastic because we don't have to worry about that run rate. We don't have to worry about where the next dollar is coming. And luckily, we can we can weather some of these changes that happened throughout the pandemic. The other thing that great happened during the pandemic was obviously they're in Munich, Germany, and our company essentially went remote. Uh, you know, a, a lot of people were in Chicago. I myself was in Chicago, and now I was able to move to New York. We had a big group in Seattle, and so it it enabled us to actually create this sort of global company because now we have people, you know, in Germany, we have people, we had people in London, you know, we had people all over and it just created this different culture that has been very fruitful and very beneficial for us. That's awesome. And from what I understand, Brain Lab is, it's like a surgical navigation uh, company. And then, and uh, among other technologies, have you guys got thought about going into that kind of space at all? Like integrating with some of their existing technology, like the navigation uh, tools and things like that? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, we, we've looked at all the ways that we can integrate and sort of think about how can our tools enable their tools at the point of care. And I think there's a lot of discussions around how that happens. You know, we've created solutions for Brain Lab um, to basically train on their devices. So we have some stuff that's out in the ecosystem right now that is specifically training on some Brain Lab equipment so that people know how to use it. You know, Brain Lab is a technology company at the end. Like, yes, they they were started in sort of the spine and or the uh, brain and cranial space and sort of the neurosurgical space. Uh, but now in, they're in radiation oncology. They're in a bunch of different spaces, but they're also a parent company for a bunch of really awesome, crazy technology companies. And they're leveraging all those companies to think about what does the future hold for technology at the point of care in surgical and procedural suites. 
And I think that's the really cool thing of being part of that and trying to enable that and trying to train people on how to interface with that has been such a great experience for us and, and has really pushed us to be able to think future proof. You know, what is, what is next? What can we do with the technology? That's really awesome. I'm curious, you know, over, you know, as you look ahead over the next like 12 months or so, I guess, what are you, what are you most excited about with the company the technology you guys are working on and, and what are you guys hoping to achieve in that time period? Yeah. I mean, you know, we're going into new specialties all the time. So, you know, we sort of have what we call our core games, which is our games that are, you know, completely free. Our, our really big blockbuster games, you know, top derm was our last one and we're, our next one's going to be spine surgery. So, you know, spine's going to be really awesome and we're going to be able to create some really cool models. We've been working with some some stuff with augmented reality and our spine game and really trying to figure out you know how do we use the tools that we have to pretty much make any model any anatomic structure and what i'm really excited about is the way that we can enable our technology to not just make things but also create models and things that will create opportunities for us to do new specialties, right? So although it's in a spine, you know, although we did ultrasound for intravenous ultrasound for cardiac, we're now using point of care ultrasound for NASA and SpaceX, right? So like we, we, we really understand how the technology can enable future opportunities. And that is what we're excited about is where, where can we go next? Uh, you know, and our partners and our clients have been fantastic and, just looking to go into new specialties and provide that opportunity for new learners to experience our stuff and 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 push the field forward. We we know that we're part of a big group in this space, and really, like I said before, it's all about collaboration. We just want to create this this niche within the medical education technology space and be there with other people to push this field forward. So we move away from that paternalistic, that traditionalistic medical education to understand how technology can enable the future learning in medicine. That's really innovative and really exciting uh, stuff. That's that's awesome. I'm, I'm excited to see what comes next for Level X. That's really cool. I guess as we round out here, I, I definitely want to ask you, I guess, about being a physician and then an entrepreneur. And I guess, how do you, you know, obviously you've, you de- you've carved out time in your schedule, but I guess, you know, it may be t- hard, I'm sure to continuously silo those two, those two worlds, if you will, I guess, how do you, how do you make that balance? And I guess, do you have any advice on, on doing that? <laughs> I'll tell you, it's been hard. You know, I've done it now at uh, two or three institutions where I had to come in and say, I'm going to work part-time clinical and an academic practice, but also do this technology stuff. And they're like, what? You know, so uh, my biggest advice to you is read your contract um, because, you know, and, and, you know, a lot of, a lot of academic places just don't know how to handle that conversation. And I've had to sort of blaze that conversation with academia because, you know, traditionally they don't like people doing a lot of outside things. And especially I'm an employee of Level X. I'm, I'm not a consultant. So it's a whole different ball game when you're talking about that as well. And then I have my own sort of consulting company that I work with outside clients as well. That's also carved out. And it was, it was really tough to have those conversations uh, but, you know, the way that I bide my time or the the way that I create my time is, is I do keep them separate. You know, like I, I'm very big on telling everybody, you know, if I get a position in a technology, uh, a technology committee, 
I'm like, hey, I work for this company. These are the other companies I can sell for. Just want to be blatantly transparent. And I manage those conflicts of interest. I'll, I'll submit my slides ahead of time, you know, because academia is so super sensitive about that, um, which understandably so. They, they want things to be objective. They want things to be balanced. And I'm all about that. Uh, you know, I very rarely, when I'm doing academic talks, bring up Level X. If somebody asks about it, I will. But very rarely do I do. But I do bring in the knowledge that I've gained by working at Level X about games and technology and education. And that has been really ubiquitous in my life through all of the different ways that I spend my time. But we know when I'm a doctor, I'm a doctor. I'm not really doing other things. And I'm always a doctor first. I'm, well, I'm, I'm a husband first. Um, <laughs> I'm a husband and a son and a brother. Um, but you know, then, then I'm a, I'm a doctor. And then, you know, I also have this other stuff that I really love doing and, and it's interesting. And you said, how do you spend your time? And for me, having a really tough day operating and having clinic and then making video games the next day is a really good prevention of burnout. <laughs> so um, it's it's actually been really good. And uh, I have to say that, that I have a very understanding wife um, who's very supportive and probably glaring at me right now. Uh, but, you know, that's, that's really what it takes. It, it takes, you know, understanding people, having partners clinically that understand and support me and, uh, you know, a supportive wife. That's awesome. I guess that the the last question I want to ask you that I ask everybody is is when you're not doing level X or practicing ENT, what do you how do you find that balance? What do you do you have any, you know, passions or pursuits outside of that, outside of work? Yeah, I mean, I love my wife and I love to travel and I, I like to read. So that's been always been my two go-tos and obviously, you know, spending time with family. But traveling is is always been my travel bug. I I try to do, you know, a couple trips a year somewhere completely new that I've never been. And that's really what getting away and learning new cultures and eating different foods has really been sort of my, my love and my, my passion. Uh, but reading, I've, I've done a lot of reading lately and I realize in this space, especially there's just so many books, you can never read everything. So I've actually gotten into audiobooks because it's a lot better use of my time. So when I'm commuting and stuff, it's, uh, it's a good way to get through some, some really good books that I otherwise wouldn't have time to read. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, I, I've uh, I'm a big Audible fan. You know, the yeah. Amazon app. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I'm a I'm... huge Audible. Yeah, I'm a huge <laughs> Audible. I'm, I like you know, and I re I listen at two x. You know, one of the things sure. I talk about a lot is that why aren't medical students coming to class? And you're like, well, they can watch it at two x at home if they're <laughs> recorded, so they can get the same content in half the time. They're like, well, why would they do that? It was because they can. <laughs> <laughs> they can get half their time back. So you know, I realized that the you know I can get through more content if I train my brain to be able to do a little faster. Some of the heavier books, I, I can't do that. I do it like 1.5x, but just the opportunity to be able to read and get through it with the fantastic performances that are on Audible. I listened to Bram Stoker's Dracula. Oh, it's really? not even like, you know, it's not even, um, it, it, I strongly recommend it. It's fantastic. The production quality is is great. Uh, but, you know, I listened to Being Mortal by Atul Gawande. I, I'm reading, you know, Dale Carnegie. I just read. I'm reading, you know, Seven um, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, um, you know, reading, quote unquote. So it's been a great, great way for me to consume that content. That's awesome. That's that's really cool. I guess the, the last thing is to, you know, uh, help promote Level X, I guess. Where can people find out more about it? Where can people, you know, connect with the company and connect with you as well? Yeah, we're on all social media, but our website is www.levelex.com. Uh, okay. And so you can also find us on Twitter at, at, at Level X Team. Uh, we're also on Facebook and Instagram. We're, we're pretty much everywhere. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter at DRE Eric Gant, at DR Eric Gant. Um, and obviously on LinkedIn as well. But 
you know, uh, I really appreciate you having me on. This was a fantastic conversation and I really appreciate it. Absolutely. I appreciate you coming on and taking time out of your busy schedule. Anytime. Thank you for listening to this episode of the DaVinci Hour podcast presented by DaVinci Academy. Please be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow the podcast on your podcast platform of choice to catch the latest episodes. Please leave a comment or review and share it with a friend. Lastly, you can find all of our podcasts, video courses, and books on our website, dviacademy.com. Thank you for listening.